You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share with you simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your home, as well as giving you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created this safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversation with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is Jeanne-Marie Penel, your host of The Art of Parenting. And today I have the delightful Lane Rebello with us. Lane is the author of Baby Sign Language Made Easy and The Complete Guide to Baby Sign Language. And she is the founder of Tiny Signs. And today I wanted us to talk a little bit about um, sign language with our children, but as I like to keep this conversation flowing, it will be whatever we want to talk about, parenting, language, etc. So, Lane, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Welcome. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's good to chat with you again. Yes, yes. So, Lane, tell me, um, how, how do you define the art of parenting? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I feel like it's taking the science of parenting, right? Because there's wonderful research about best practices and, and child development, but then taking that information and applying it to the child you have or the children you have and kind of picking and choosing what works best with your disposition and personality and skills and your child's um, disposition and personality and needs. And, and it's almost like, I think of it like cooking. So you have like a recipe and this is like the, you know, America's test kitchen, perfect recipe for whatever, but then you find out, well, but I like it with a little less salt or we need a little more sugar and we have to kind of tweak things for the, the family that you have and the individuals that you have in your family. Um, and I have two children and they're both very different. Mm -hmm. So, you Mm -hmm. know, what were, what I thought were my best practices for parenting with child number one might not be with child number two. So that there's that art of, of figuring out what works. Yes. And I love that you say that because it is, you know, so individualized and so personal where you, you are a full-fledged individual, your child is a full-fledged individual, and the combination makes it just one very specific uh, relationship, and we cannot be comparing to what others are doing. So I love that. Very yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. So before we get a little too involved in our conversation, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and the work that you do, but more importantly, how you got to to doing what you're doing today? Sure. Um, so my background is as I'm a clinical social worker, and I worked with families in a variety of capacities before I became a parent, um, and mostly with children and a lot with children and with trauma and foster care and social services and that kind of work, which was pretty heavy duty stuff. Um, and then when I became a parent, I um, 
stayed home with my first child and was doing a lot of reading about parenting and um, had decided I wanted to try. I'd heard about using American Sign Language to communicate with preverbal babies. And I was curious. I was more like a, almost like a science experiment experiment or social experiment. I, I wasn't sure it would work. I was curious. I'm just kind of a naturally curious person. So I learned about it, read about it, tried it, and it worked. And I just became absolutely fascinated. And that's kind of what started off this whole, now that's, she'll, she'll be 14 um, in January. So we're coming up on her 14th birthday. And uh, so this was a long time ago. And it kind of kicked off this whole process of to where I am now, where I've now just published my second book on the topic and have been teaching for over a decade. And um, but that's really what where it started was just a curiosity and an interest in connecting and communicating with my own child. That's beautiful. And and for those of for for our listeners who might not know what that entails, kind of the the when you say you know baby sign language for the preverbal child, can you just explain a little bit about what that uh, what that entails and how one would would approach that? Sure. Uh, yeah, because it gets kind of confusing because um, we talk about baby sign language, but we also talk about using American Sign Language vet vocabulary. And then people say, well, why do you call it baby sign language? Why don't you just call it, you know, ASL or American Sign Language? But it's it's kind of like a hybrid or or almost like a pigeon virgin version of the language because when you're using sign language with a baby or toddler that can hear, you're also speaking. So you're you're speaking and signing simultaneously, which is different than if you were speaking American Sign Language purely. So it, it's not, it's American Sign Language signs, but you're using it kind of in this hybrid way for communication with a baby that isn't talking yet. So baby's receptive language develops earlier than their expressive language so they can understand. That's why you see like a you know, you'll have a 14-year-old and you say, where's your belly button? And they point at it, but they, they can't say belly button yet. You right, know? right. So, 14 month. You said 14-year-old. I said 14 yeah. month. Right? <laughs> what did I say? Did I say you 14 said 14-year-old. A 14-year-old is like, uh, well, <laughs> they, sh- they might know what a belly button is. <laughs> well, depends on the day. No, 14 yes, months. Exactly. I, I was just talking about my daughter, so that's probably exactly, where the years, years exactly. slipped in there. But yes, 14-month-old. Yeah. yeah, so that's so there's that gap between what they understand and what they're able to communicate. Right. And because babies naturally gesture, whether you use sign language with them or not, babies gesture to communicate because that's what they have at their disposal to communicate. So you see babies pointing and reaching and, you know, lifting their arms up when they want to be picked up. Um, and and so, yeah, and waving bye-bye before they say goodbye. And um, so that, that gesturing happens organically, naturally. And so, so using adding some signs into the into the mixture is just really expanding on that natural right ability. right and i know for me i i kind of discovered the whole idea of using sign language when i was actually doing my uh masters and that was one of the research paper that i wrote about you know how it could actually help the preverbal child to to be less frustrated and to be able to communicate kind of those basic needs because it's true that 
Um, I know with my second, there was this real moment of total frustration where it's like, Mm. what are you telling me? Like, I have no clue. And, you know, probably the same for him. So it was, and and I remember when I discovered sign language, I go, oh, that would have helped so much to kind of, you know, go through that whole moment, that, that stage of communication where you know that they know what they want. But oh, they, they know. Exactly. <laughs> and that's going to be so frustrating for them. So, yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, you see like that, that kind of what you hear people refer to as the terrible to actually love to. Is Terrific twos. <laughs> Terrific twos. But a lot of that, that kind of tantruming, you know, frustrated behavior becomes from an inability of, for others to understand. And they know exactly what they want. And they have fully formed thoughts about the world around them that they're unable to communicate. And, um, you know, even if they're speaking, there's, it can be hard to decipher what they're saying. So, you know, even if your child's speaking in their mind, they're saying it perfectly clearly, but you're like, I cannot make sense of this because, you know, that those, that speech is still developing and it's, you know, hard to understand. And you brought up a good point about the fact that you're actually also saying the word that you're signing, because I know some people think that using sign language might um, be a detriment in the sense that it would delay the verbal language. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. I mean, I feel like that that was one of those kind of, um, it's like a, a myth that stuck around. And I feel like it's finally, there's enough research and that, it, that people are really understanding that it's not in any way a hindrance to link to speech development any more than waving when you say bye-bye to a baby doesn't impede their ability to learn how to say the words bye-bye. Um, so I feel like that's finally, but when I first started doing this over a decade ago, I, I ran into that a lot um, where people were concerned about it. And I think, you know, I've had parents say to me, well, you know, like, why would I push this kind of communication versus um, you know, really focusing on on supporting their speech development, and but that's that question is flawed in and of itself because your baby, you can't. There's things you can do, of course, to promote language development overall, but your baby's oral development and ability to control their tongue and breath and all the things that go into speech development happens when it happens to a certain degree, and so you can no longer you can't make a child necessarily speak earlier than you can make them walk, you know, like babies walk when they're developmentally ready, they speak when they're developmentally ready. So it's not really about, you know, promoting one mode of communication versus the other. It's not an either or, it's a both and, you know, it's, it's, you can, it's like um, crutches really almost, you know, it's, you're supporting their communication while speech develops simultaneously. So you're not picking between two you're you're using them in tandem while things are are developing. So yeah. Um, and for me it's, you know, I, I always say that language development, there's, you know, there's certain aspects that need to develop naturally and healthy, like our our, you know, auditory sense and 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 all of that. But there's also and exposure to language and so forth. Exposure to 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 correct, you know, beautiful language. But the, the there's one element to me that is so important is the desire to communicate. And I feel that using uh signs from an early age kind of 
kind of, you know, makes them feel like, oh, I'm getting my message across. So, so that desire is developed. So I would think it would be a benefit and an enhancement to language development. And that's what the research supports as well. And, and, and from, and my own, I mean, I've now worked with thousands of people using this, this kind of communication with, with babies and toddlers is that, you know, you're basically inviting your child into the conversation. Right much earlier. So they are a conversational partner in the household and in the family before they're talking. So they're already kind of inserted into the dialogue and they can participate actively. So yeah, absolutely. That's just going to, you know, support their, and, and I mean, just anecdotally from my own experience, my two children both were early talkers and, and, you know, putting, stringing words together before, you know, I think my second one, I remember putting together like a five or six word sentence before her second birthday. I mean, that was, you know, that is early. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. like, wow, she's yeah. kind of done everything early, but, um, you know, whereas my first was kind of more typical on the mm-hmm. milestones. She, she mm-hmm. did do a lot of, my second did a lot of things kind of, I was like, okay, oh, we're walking. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that, and that <laughs> sometimes is just the, the, the role of the second too, is right, they have exactly. that first one to keep up with. So, right. Yeah. But still, yeah. I mean, you know, both of them, you know, I, I, and, you know, and in the families that I work with, they see that the, that just, it's kind of a springboard. Right. And definitely not in any way, uh, an impediment, um, so Good. yeah. Good. So one one last thing about just sign language, because to me it just fascinates me. I'm just always fascinated with just language development in, in itself, like the whole, you know, what goes on in the brain and how the child is absorbing all of all of the the nuances and, and all of that. It's just fascinating. But one thing, um, I know I work with a lot of families who have bilingual households. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, a parent might speak uh, a different language to the child when they're one-on-one. At least that's what I always recommend is that if you have a mother tongue, a native tongue that you want to uh, share with your child when you're with them one-on-one, speak only that. And when you're all together, then speak the common language. Yep. But how would you use the fact that, um, you know, you say it's ASL, so it's specific to the English language, it, but is it translatable in other languages or do we need to learn another type of sign language? Oh, that's such a good question. So it's a common misconception that Sign language is universal, but of course, sign language isn't universal any more than spoken language is universal. It's regional, right? It develops regionally among deaf communities. So I use American Sign Language. I'm based in Massachusetts. And in the U.S., American Sign Language, or ASL, is the signed language of the deaf community in the United States and most of Canada. So that's what I use. I have students, though, that are bilingual here in the U.S., and I also have students that are international because I teach online. And so they might be bilingual um, and and also not in a country that's using ASL. You, The techniques I teach, you can use with any signed language, but I teach American Sign Language is the vocabulary that I use. So what I recommend, and actually I think it would be great if you could link in the show notes, because I have a, an amazing video of a bilingual family signing okay. and talking, the dad speaking French, the mom um, is speaking English and the baby signing, and it's wow. and it's wow. 
so I want you to, I mean, I, I would love it if people watch it because okay. really, okay, I'll, it's I'll a great, it. mm-hmm. yeah, it's a great, great way. It's hard, yeah, I can describe it, but when you see it, it makes so much more sense. But basically what happens is the sign language actually facilitates bilingual spoken language development because, because it becomes a bridge for the baby to make the connection. Mm. You know, so if you, if you see, um, you know, leche and your mom is signing milk and then your dad says milk and he signs the same sign, it makes that concrete connection in the baby's mind that these two spoken words mean the same thing. Same thing. Beautiful. So, yeah. so that's part one of your question. Um, mm-hmm. As mm-hmm. far as in bilingual households, it's a wonderful tool to facilitate bilingual language development. Um, and then the second question is, do you need to learn a different signed language, right. like British sign language or, or, you know, there's so many different sign languages all over the globe. And I would say that in this case, I would stick with one signed language. And if that was British sign language and you were speaking Spanish and English in your home, but you lived in the UK. And so then I would, but I would stick with one signed language. It would not make sense to pair one signed language with one spoken language and a different signed language. Right, right. That would create a, that'd be very confusing. So that would be very confusing. So, so so the person who, whose language that is not, they just need to learn those signs and equate them with, with the words because, and, and, and I'm assuming also that, you know, you're not like speaking full sentences with your baby. You're really, it's just really very kind of basic uh, needs that yeah, need to be met. Key, it's yeah, it's keywords. Yeah, it's keywords. Yeah. So you can be saying a whole sentence, you know, right? And and signing one sign. So you might be saying, "Are you ready to have lunch? I think we should go downstairs and make some lunch." And the only word you're signing is food or eat. So it's the concept. It's the key concept of what you're communicating, which is also that's why we call it baby sign language because it's conceptually it's just a different communication style than if you were speaking ASL fluently, it would be a completely different grammar and syntax and you wouldn't be speaking verbally. So, you know, it's really just taking key, key vocabulary and signing that concept for the whole conversation. Um, or, um, so yeah, so, um, and I would say that you can, you know, if you're living outside of the U S or Canada, you can use the signed language of the region that you live in. But I also have students that are in Norway and South America, and they choose to use ASL because there's just a lot of resources. And that's what I make available through the dictionary to my students and so forth. So because if, if, if your long term goal isn't to be necessarily communicating with deaf relatives or friends, if it's really you're just using it for the short term purpose, then it, it doesn't, it's not as important to learn the the signed language necessarily. I mean, I think it's mm-hmm. ideal if you can, but you know, right, you use right. the you're, you're basically, yeah, you're basically learning the the baby signs, quote unquote, like the yes. signs that you need to. And and it's yeah. funny because as you're talking, it reminded me of my uh, eldest. She was in a, <clears throat> excuse me, she was in a um, elementary school that had uh, special needs uh, classrooms and mm-hmm. special needs teachers in her classroom. And one of those um, teachers was an ASL teacher because there were some deaf children in her classroom. Mm-hmm. And so for three years, I think she got, you know, ASL, uh, understood ASL, which to me was fascinating because I remember being at a restaurant and there was a, a 
you know, family that was or a group of people that were talking in sign language and she could understand everything. It was amazing. I mean, it's That's really like a thing. <laughs> it is. It is. But it's Who to me, to it was fascinating. That? You know, it was fascinating. It's like us, you know, we speak uh, English and French. So it's true that when we hear, you know, somebody speaking French, we understand what they're, they're talking about. Yeah. And it's always, you know, fun. And, and this was just, you know, it, it was just a kind of for me, like, oh, my gosh, this is just a whole other language. And yeah. she can, you know, she can understand. And to me, it's just beautiful where her brain was probably being wired differently too to understand just this visual language. And, and you know, there was no auditory to it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's definitely, that's, that's some of the, the theory behind some of the research that's there. I don't think it's, it's fully been explored to the extent that I would love to see it as far as that, that, you know, actual aspect on brain development of how, mm -hmm, how mm -hmm. it's affecting that early development in the brain as far as using the different hemispheres because visual and auditory language gets processed in different parts of the brain. So you're exactly. actually building connections there that wouldn't otherwise get built. So yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. But actually, but at this, while that fascinates me, that's not why I encourage or I'm such a big fan of this because I really for for me and for the families that I, I work with it's really about yeah like that's great that's like gravy that's a cherry on top mm -hmm, but it's mm -hmm. really about being able to connect and communicate in in the here and now with your child who's not speaking with and that's right really right why why I encourage people to do it not because it's gonna you know make them a genius down the road or something right right right. no <laughs> definitely definitely no to me it's it's really that helping them through that pre-verbal stage yeah. definitely yeah well, and wonderful. what you mentioned too is that you know I also have the the good fortune to work with families over the years that use um sign language in this manner paired with verbal language with older children who have communication challenges, whether they have Down syndrome or autism or, or apraxia or other things that, uh, you know, inhibit their ability to speak, they also can use sign language in this way paired with speech to communicate. So there's, that's a whole nother topic, but, um, but I get to do that too. Um, and it's fascinating to see how helpful a tool it is for kids that would otherwise either be limited to using kind of like electronic tech board kind of mm. communication are able to, to communicate. Yeah, that's beautiful work. That's wonderful. Have you been searching for the owner's manual to your child or did you just misplace it? Are you tired of trying to figure out this whole parenting puzzle, not knowing what to do when it comes to tantrums, hitting or biting, sibling rivalry, potty training, proper sleep habits, or just plain wanting a better relationship with your child. You know, I've been at this for a while now and wanted to share my own parenting manual. It's called The Parenting School, and I've created it with you in mind. Give your child and yourself the gift of mindful parenting in just a few short weeks and discover all the tools you'll ever need to parent without losing your patience, giving in, or worrying that you're messing up. If you're yearning to be more patient and present with your child while finding balance in your own life, then you already know that you need effective parenting tools and ongoing support. You know you weren't meant to be raising children alone. 
And you probably already know that having the right parenting tools during moments of conflict is the key to staying grounded, responding with empathy, and strengthening your parent-child relationship. You've probably sensed that you'd be a more confident parent if you had a like-minded community supporting and encouraging you. Your skills have gotten you this far, but most days you still feel like you're making it up as you go. So here's what I've got for you. Reliable parenting principles that will allow you to finally set boundaries you can confidently uphold, communicate effectively with your child, declutter your home to enhance your child's independence, learning, and family harmony, and find more time to do the things you love. This is what the parenting school is all about. During this digital parenting course, you'll get weekly modules with lessons focused on key areas to get you where you want to be. These modules come packed full of video tutorials, journal prompts, actionable activities, expert interviews, and more, as well as weekly Lifeline group mentoring calls where I answer your questions personally, plus a virtual village with like-minded parents supporting each other during this deep dive parenting intensive. I'll also include some extra special bonuses to keep you inspired and motivated along the way. So if this sounds too good to be true and you're ready to up-level your parenting skills as well as your family's well-being, head on over to The Parenting School at voilamontessori.com slash TPS dash enroll. That's TPS for The Parenting School dash enroll. To learn more about the, all the benefits of this fabulous interactive digital course I've created just for you. And by the way, I've also added the link in the show notes for you. Looking forward to supporting you and your family. Well, wonderful. So um, let's kind of shift a little bit to to you and your your own parenting and, and kind of experience uh, in this parenting journey for the past 14 years. Um, do you have kind of any um, revelations or maybe research that you have found that uh, can that has been most helpful to you as a parent and also as the parent educator that you are? Kind of new. Uh, I, I want to say revelations, but revelation sounds more like a, it's a spiritual thing. It's more about, <laughs> you know, it's more like uh, findings or as you've, you know, as you've progressed in your own parenting and in your work with other parents, like what are some of the things that you kind of come back to? Well, you know, I, I, that's, that's a big question. So let it me is. Think about it. Yeah. It is. <laughs> um, I mean, I feel like I'm always learning and I feel like, um, you know, as I, as my children get older, they're now nine and 13 going on 14, um, you know, and then I continue to work with new parents, you know, and I'm sure you're in the same situation where it, you know, as your kids grow, it just, it kind of enriches that experience of working with new families because I, you know, my kids continue to grow and I continue to learn new things as a parent. But at the same time, some of my early inclinations to want to observe and support and nurture 
their development, you know, and, and using early communication and sign language was just one way that, um, that one tool that supported that desire of mine. Um, and now as they're getting older, I find myself, you know, fascinated with education. You know, we spent many years in a Montessori school. Now, you know, there's homeschooling happening with my children. So it's just, it's about, um, just constantly learning and, and figuring out what's the best way to support them in their development. And, um, yeah, so as far as, I don't know about a revelation, but it's just, I feel like it's like a constant, like, um, evolution and yet Mm. it circles back to concepts that I knew like at a, as a, at a, you know, kind of kernel of, of an idea or a feeling that then, you know, you can see that it was true, you know, that, um, that letting them lead with their interests and, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause for me, one of the big things that I really encourage, I mean, it's interesting cause my, um, parenting approach and parenting philosophies are kind of almost like not what you would think for somebody who does what I do would be, because I think there's in my mind, or at least from what I saw early on, there's this association between people who do baby sign language, I almost think of this like kind of tiger mom who's like with the flashcards kind of like trying to kind of, trying Uh to like accelerate and make everything happen faster or Uh sooner. And that's Uh the opposite of the kind of parent I am. And, uh, and, and I really, um, with my students are, I'm always encouraging them to, to use observation and to follow their child's interests. And, and that's why I think so many of my students have so much success is because, you know, whereas another parent might come at this and not have kind of the, the roadmap that I lay out for my students and, you know, kind of come into it. Like, I want them to learn how to do this and I want them to sign this to me so they can tell me when they need help and, you know, kind of focused on what the parent wants. I'm always, you know, really encouraging my students, like, take some time, observe your child. What does your child seem interested in? What is your child um, fascinated by? What do they, you know, when the dog walks in the room, do they kick their feet and squeal? Like, and Mm -hmm, and using mm -hmm. observation and kind of a child-led approach to then pick the best signs to introduce. And also to like, um, you know, introduce signs in a kind of a non-intrusive way. You know, I, I don't, encourage people to, you know, kind of insert sign language in a like unnatural way. It's like just add it kind of in an organic way to what you're already doing with your child. Just layer it on top of the conversation you're already having. You don't have to be like, you know, Timmy, look at me, look at me, look at mommy, mommy signing, you know, (laughs) you can just just, just add it, you know, gently over Mm -hmm. what you're already doing so that it's Mm -hmm. not disruptive or intrusive or um kind of disrupting their learning, whatever, whatever they've got going on. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I feel like that kind of inclination as a new parent um, and now as a parent of a preteen and teenager, young teenager, I still feel like I'm doing those things yet. It's, I'm still learning. I don't know if that answers the question, but that's. No, it does. It's no, no, it's, it's, it's to me, it's really bringing, you know, to your work, kind of your life experience. So your experience at what you're discovering as a, as the mother of these two children, as the parent of these children, you know, of, of what your 
kind of focus is for them and that that evolves i mean that is you know that changes as they evolve and and our preoccupation are different i mean i don't know as if you imagined 14 years ago that you would be homeschooling two children right you <laughs> exactly so it's like we 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 evolve because we are evolving with our children so you know that's that to me is fascinating and you 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 know what you were saying was music to my ear because the whole aspect of uh, observation of really observing uh and, and Montessori talks about being a scientific observer meaning that we are just taking note of what is going on without judgment, without expectations, without trying to label it or anything. We're just seeing what they're doing. So that baby uh-huh. that, you know, squeals and kicks their feet when the dog walks in, that's all you're noticing is, right. oh, they're kicking. And so that might mean that they're interested in the dog, right? But we're, right. we're, we're just observing and, and following the child, because as you said, from the very beginning, every child is different. Every child is unique. So we really need to to follow uh, their, take their lead, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because people will often say, well, what are the best signs to start with? That's a question I get asked all the time. I'm like, well, that. Food. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but, but not for the baby who hates the high chair or doesn't, isn't interested in food, you right. know? So, so far right. I have some, some of my students have babies that that's all they want to talk about our food. You know, that's, that's their number one, but I have other ones there, you know, uh, whose first sign was bird because they had a bird feeder outside the window and the baby would kind mm. of crawl over to the sliding glass door and kind of pull up on the glass and stare at the bird feeder as the birds oh, came and went. Yeah. So it really depends on the child. So as much as there are tons of babies that are super motivated by food and food communication around food signs, there are others that are you know, fascinated by the ceiling fan or the birds out the window or the train whistle that they hear in the distance or whatever it might be. So um, it really depends on the baby and the environment because if you live next to the ocean or up on a mountain, you know, the signs are going to be, the, be the environment is also going to be different about what, right, right, yeah, right, so right. it really depends. There's not like these are the best signs for every child. I couldn't possibly I mean, there's, you know, obviously there's some general guidelines of ones that I see, you know, generally are helpful for most people, but, you know, there's right. also that aspect of, it depends on right. your child, right. their interest, your environment, your, your lifestyle. You know, if yeah. you live in a big city and um, carry your baby everywhere you go, or if you live in the suburbs or the country and you're always putting your baby in and out of the car seat to go places, it's going to be different. Exactly. You know, the, so. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. So um, just to, to, to kind of wrap things up, I would like to ask a more personal question, if sure. I may. And that is, uh, so you said that your eldest is 13, almost 14. Mm-hmm. And if you were to go back 14 years ago, and give yourself some advice, as you were expecting your first child, what would that sound like today? Wow. Um, <laughs> I think the thing that I would, I, you know, I hate to say regret, but the thing that I wish I had done, I, what I would tell myself is to not try to make everything perfect all the time. Mm. I think as a new mom, I felt like it was my job 
to, um, and this was just, you know, you know, miss misunderstanding on my part, I think, or I think because I kind of made a, a decision to leave a career that I was very invested in, I kind of put too much onto making things just so as a, mm-hmm, as a new parent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I would tell myself to, to, you know, let, let things not be okay sometimes and not fix things when things go wrong so quickly. That's what I would any, say. Any, any, any like specific example you can think of when you say that? Cause I think that that is um, so important for parents and especially new parents to, to be hearing, but is there like, a situation that you remember maybe that was like, I mean, there's probably lots of them, but like, yes. <laughs> there's lots of them. But the, the yeah. one that comes straight to mind is I remember um, my first, she had a, a blanket that she was very attached to and used a pacifier in the, in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, and she, uh, if we were driving and of course she was rear facing and if she dropped either one, um, she would get very upset and I would, I would pull off the road. Mm. to to get it for her because it, you know and i think that being you know saying we're almost there and you know i'll get your i'll get your blanket when we get there um that sort of thing like just just to build resilience resilience yeah 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 um yeah, yeah. that's that yeah. would be the advice yeah that's that's very powerful because we tend to think we need to fix everything for them. And, yeah, I thought that was being a good mom. In my new yeah, mom mind, yeah. I thought I was being, you know, responsive and but and then only in hindsight can you realize that you're actually kind of denying your child a chance to build those those skills and muscles to cope with, you know, more challenging or stressful or, you know, irrit- irritations or whatever. So, yeah, that would be the advice I would give myself cuz and I know with my second you, with with when you have a second child, you you don't really have a choice. You can't be that exactly responsive. So it's like, you know, it's just that that's I think as a new mom or a new parent, a challenge I had, and I I, I I'm guessing I'm not the only one because you no, want to. Wanna... <laughs> Let me reassure you, you're not. <laughs> you, 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 you know, it's it's, it's very um, it's new territory, and you're trying really hard and. Uh, and I, yeah. you know, we tend to make it harder than it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. I actually wrote a blog about that yesterday. Oh, Are you making you? parenting <laughs> harder than it needs to be? Because I, I it's probably true. did. I probably yeah, yeah, did. I'm sure yeah. I did. Yeah. Well, yeah. as we're coming to a close lane, is there anything that you uh, take away that you want to make sure our uh, listeners remember today? Um, just that, you know, be gentle with yourself, T- take time to observe your child. And, and if you are interested in, in connecting and communicating with your baby or toddler, and they're not, you know, able to communicate verbally yet, you know, there's this amazing tool that's there for you to, to open that door of communication. And I feel like the communication that started, you know, my first made her first sign at eight months. And, you know, I feel like that that was like the start of a conversation. I mean, obviously, there was communication going on from birth or in right, utero right, communication right. starts before a first sign or, or even a first word, obviously, but that conversation really started then and it still continues. And um, yeah, so I just encourage parents to, to be open to, to the fact that their baby um, 
understands a lot more than they might realize too. Right. Well, thank you. This has been uh, delightful. And, and I also know that you gave us a quick start guide to baby sign language that will be linked up in the show notes. Uh, it's a free download that uh, Lane has made available to all the parents interested in signing with their babies. So again, Lane, thank you so much for coming and uh, sharing your wisdom with us. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.